Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to They Started It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that takes you on a journey from business idea to reality with a range of inspiring, dynamic CEOs and business leaders. I'm your host, best-selling author, entrepreneur and founder of About Time magazine, Angelica Malin. And in this series, we'll be discovering what it takes to make it as an entrepreneur, from mindset to hard business lessons with some incredible, inspiring guests. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Jelly Malin for all the behind the scenes of making the podcast. Now, let's find out how they started it. So I'm joined today by James and Tom Elliott, founders of Pizza Pilgrims. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell me a little bit about your roles in the business and what kind of day-to-day looks like? Absolutely. Do you want to take this one? I mean, that, that's, a, that's going to take Tells you everything you need to know. Uh, so we're both founders of the business. Uh, and I think sort of in the most cartoon version, I well, this is the way I put it, I get to do all the creative fun stuff. And Tom is sort of everything else. <laughs> but then... There's inevitably a lot of crossover between our two roles. Okay. Yeah. I think the way it's actually worked is that, you know, I can sit in a meeting about designing a pizzeria and completely zone out, and he can sit in a meeting about doing a lease agreement and completely zone out, and between us, we've got that covered. Do you think it's beneficial for running the business that you have that kind of separation? A- absolutely. Not only because it means you've covered all bases, so like all the kind of, all the stupid balls you need to juggle to run a business are covered, but also if you're both fighting over the same bone, then you're not getting anywhere. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we were both arguing about fit out, stuff then you know it would be counterproductive i also find it interesting how often your skill set and your just way of thinking is useful in my neck of the woods and sometimes my my way of thinking is useful in your neck of the woods because you're more analytical so therefore analytical to creative is good and sometimes i fear we're straying into boring answer here oh yeah we might be yeah (laughs) Yeah. not at all Um, so i want to go back to the start and talk about starting the business so how did the business come about and how did it go from kind of a street food business to starting your own pizzerias uh, well, it started, we, we both, I worked in advertising and you worked in TV production, so sort of media. And um, yeah, we both hated it. And I was, I hated it and I was bad at it. So it was sort of a double whammy. And we really, we, we'd grown up in pubs all our lives. So we wanted to, we'd always wanted to get into a food business or some kind of hospitality business. But we didn't have any money. No one would back us. Uh, and then we were sat in a pub one day and it was sort of early 2011 and like the first signs of street food being a thing were starting to happen. So, you know, there was this sort of myst- mythical wagon in Peckham that you could get meat from, <laughs> the meat wagon. Uh, and that obviously became meat liquor. And like those, those, start of, those, those kind of cool uh, food things were starting to happen where you could build a brand without any money and just do it off, you know, using social media and having a great kind of great product. And they were really kind of celebratory about food. So that was starting to happen. And suddenly there was this avenue of, of like, well, this is happening Seemingly, no one is doing pizza, which is one of the most obvious, you know, food groups that you want to cover. And so that that all came together to be like, let's let's do this. Let's start a pizza company. And how did it go from that to actually starting? <laughs> what what was that journey? Well, that like? was, so that was the first thing. I remember going down to the meat wagon in a in a car park in Peckham. We'd been talking about opening a pub, but you need money to start a pub, and it just wasn't going to happen. 
Um, so then suddenly this ambulance was serving 300 burgers a night to a whole bunch of people. They just tweet where they were. I don't know. It's kind of, I think it's the only time in our lives we've ever like caught a wave and been actually involved in something as it was happening. And yeah, the whole street food thing happened. So I, years before, had been and done a cookery course in Italy and we were using pizza ovens. And the original idea is that I was going to come back and we were going to start a pizza oven company because it was like a, and the, the strap line was going to be a barbecue with a roof <laughs> for English people because it rained so much in English summers. But then, uh, and it's kind of got, no, I didn't get anywhere down the way with that, but that was the idea. And then Jamie Oliver uh, started a pizza oven company. I was like, probably leave him to it. Uh, so then, then this idea, it, it definitely became clear that like having a cool van was a thing. There was like already beginnings of like what what is the starter kit for a street food thing, um, and just these little three wheel Piaggio Apes that that um, I'd driven when I was on that course. It just they're just so much fun, and then it, it was just like a oh what if you put a pizza oven in the back of one of those ridiculous little tuk tuks, and I googled it and it was such a good sign when you Google it and it's nothing there, mm. and so I was like oh my god this hasn't been done before. So then this idea of and then. Oh, and then I stepped in and was like, we must contact Piaggio and see if this can be done. So we, we contacted them. They're like, it absolutely cannot be done. Like, do not do it. It will not work. We were like, got you, Piaggio. We're going to put your decades of engineering experience to the side and just ignore you. Um, and then, so the idea was starting to come together. And then I I had quit my job literally the day after this pub thing and then realized I needed to get another job. And as I quit my job, I emailed um, a very senior person in the agency I worked in who I'd never met who was leaving to start a bakery in Cambridge. And I just said, look, we're, I'm going to start a pizza company. You're going to start a bakery. We should at least go for a beer. And um, we did. And it turns out that her husband um, was a food critic. He's called Tim Hayward. He's a food critic for the FT and various other places. And he was just that kind of like spark of enthusiasm where we're like, this is the idea. He was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You've got to do it. You've got to go here. You've got to make it into a TV show. This is a whole thing. And he just, like, was this kind of, you know, this sort of surface of which we could kind of crystallize the idea. And and from there, we just dived in with both feet. And we did actually end up recruiting a TV, you know, sort of slightly ropey TV company. And we went and did it with... I mean, I'm going to be honest, it was like... We did the whole thing on a shooting. We shot for 30 days straight. And by the end, we were just like... So we drove this Apple back. We'd done no planning. So we turned up in Italy... And we'd literally put into Google Maps, Sicily, London, how long to drive it. And it said, I don't know, 20 hours. So let's, say, let's make a holiday out of it. Let's make it, let's make it 10 days. <laughs> let's really luxuriate in this. Got in the Apple first thing, turned it on, drove it, and it went 12 miles an hour. And we were like, Ooh. oh. Yeah. So we figured out that the way to figure out Piaggio Ape speed is to take the driving speed and the walking speed on Google Maps and divide them by two. <laughs> and you, kind of, you get the average. And it, so it took six weeks to get home. Oh, wow. So we ended up making this TV show. I mean, it was quite great that we went with a really small production company because every other production company would have gone, see ya. Yeah. But we, they were like, okay, cool, we're in. And we, we ended up shooting this, like, travel documentary of us coming back. And it was... It was surreal. And, and to experience. be fair, like, they, yeah, they took, they took the risk on, like, two complete Muppets. Um, uh, and, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And the thing, is, the thing that was great about it was the TV camera... Like, because it looked sort of semi-professional, it got us into places that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I couldn't possibly tell you the recipe. It's my grandmother's grandmother. And then you get the TV camera out and they'll tell you everything. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll tell you twice to camera. <laughs> so it was like, oh, amazing. Okay. So it really opened some doors and made it kind of feel more legit. Um, but then the, the show, uh, it did eventually air on Food Network. And I think it had sort of 25 to 27 viewers, <laughs> something like that. No, but we were big in Lagos, Niger- Nigeria. Nigeria. Oh, wow. It's on hard repeat, apparently. Yeah. And actually in Italy, it gets shown quite a lot on National Geographic. So 
the only place that we've ever been stopped in the street is in Italy. Of like, oh my god, you're the two Muppets of the <laughs> yeah. Piaggio. And if you went to Lagos, if yeah. we went to Lagos, you'd, you'd be big celebrities. Well, do you remember there was big. that story a few years back where there were people flying? They were get very rich people in Lagos were getting people to fly to London to buy pizza and taking it back to Lagos. <gasps> I just wonder whether we might have been involved in that little story. Did you make that story up? (laughs) Do you not remember that story? It was a completely mad one. That's so mad. Because by the time you're back, like the pizza is not that delicious. No. So you started a street food business. And then how did that go? And then how did that develop into the business that exists now? It was a... I just generally remember starting the street food van and can't believe that we got the street food van open. And then just like my brain couldn't compute what opening a restaurant that was kind of the next natural step a few of the guys who'd done street food before us like meat liquor and at that point pick you had opened a restaurant as well and it was just that i just remember not being able to think how the hell you'd do that i mean but, like, but, but i mean quite genuinely you know i think everyone wants to kind of sort of unpick this story now but quite genuinely we started the business in march 2020 2012 sorry um and I was like, I'll do this for a summer because I hate advertising that much. But I kind of worked out the back of a fag packet. There was just no way that this business could support both of us. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'll do it because it'll be a great thing that I can kind of put on my CV. But realistically, this is going to be your thing to run. You're the foodie person. And I will, you know, I'll kind of melt away into the background. And it would be this really fun events business. That was the idea. Um, but yeah, and we just had this first summer in Soho and it was busy. And we, you know, because it was Soho, I had like people coming up being like, oh, I organise V Festival. Can you come and do that? And, we, you know, I've got this event happening. Can you come and do that? And by the end of the summer, it was like, OK, well, this is kind of going one way. And at that point, the TV show was kind of, it was due to come out. So the promise of it was like way more impressive than the actual mm. end game. So yeah. we found ourselves in this place where like the business was sort of growing, got to the end of the summer. We weren't making any money, but we weren't losing any money anymore. And it was like, well, maybe there is something here. And so that was that was the first point, end of that first summer, where we were like, maybe this is something that could support both of us, but if it is going to be, it's going to have to probably be a restaurant. And then we had a winter and was like, it's definitely going to have to be a restaurant. <laughs> walls, I want walls. <laughs> Ceilings. I just remember it being uh, like, there was such a hit and hope attitude. Like, there, it, there was nothing to lose. There, oh God, I've just, I've kind of just accidentally stumbled across an absolute That's cliche. entrepreneur thing, though. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just that was really easy because it meant there was no there was no panic around if you messed up. It was like okay, cool, just go back and get jobs again. So, I think it's actually quite a crucial point though. A lot of people say to me, you know, if they're working in, you know, I, I don't want to, but you know, some kind of professional services job, they're like, oh, you know, how did you take the risk? And like we were twenty five and twenty seven, we didn't have a mortgage, we didn't have kids, we weren't married, we had jobs that we hated that didn't pay very much. There was no risk. Like, and that is the time to do it. I think the danger is that everyone perceives it as this massive thing you're taking. But uh, for us, like, it feels riskier now than it felt then. Yeah. Because there's actually something to lose. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a strange thing. So I think taking that plunge, I would just really encourage people. I know we're kind of diving into recommendations, but like, just don't worry about the risk too much. Because once you're 40 and you have got the kids and the mortgage, it's much, much, much harder. Entrepreneur cliche number two. Not doing it is the risk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it is so true. And lots of entrepreneurs that I speak to in the podcast say about not having a business plan at the start has actually really benefited them because they weren't trying to stick to something yeah, yeah. and they weren't putting that pressure on it. Yeah. They were just seeing where it went. And that's really exciting. And that, I think that is a nice way to do it if you can. What is that someone said? Like, uh, someone said this to me enough. Like, that actually is one of those kind of annoying cliches, but it really rings true. It's like strong convictions weakly held. So, like, have a strong point of view. Be like, this is what we want to do. 
But as soon as you have any kind of data to support that that is not the right way, change it. Mm. So I thought that was a really nice summation. Strong convictions, weakly held is, is good. Mm. I'd back that not up. Be, not being too fixed, one yeah. way of doing things yeah, totally. Yeah. So talk to me about finances. So you had to start... You had See to, in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to open a restaurant. You wanted to open a restaurant. Like That's a big thing going from a street food business. So like, what did that look like? Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we were like comically naive. We'd started the business literally on a, on a Barclay card. Um, and we, uh, we were making a bit of money on the market, but like, I think we paid each other a hundred pound a week, something like that. Um, so it was pretty like hand to mouth and then you'd go and do a festival and make a bit of money. But I mean, we were so far from having any money to invest in, in a, in a proper venture. And then, yeah. And then we, once we decided that the, the, the kind of restaurant, angle was the way to go we felt like we were building a name for ourselves it was like right we need to go and find someone with the money to do it and so we started kind of approaching anyone we we had met over the years that had some some interest and it you know long story short james's godfather bizarrely who we hadn't seen for like what 10 15 years 15 years probably he had started a pub company with our dad who had sadly passed away at this point anyway he was just coming out of that bit of his life and we like approached him out of the blue and said look we haven't seen this 15 years but we would love to chat to you about this idea went to pitch it to him he was like no pizza is saturated don't get it not for me uh and then we kind of went away again did a bit more of the end of the summer like got a bit more detail about the book and the tv show that was coming out and i kind of went back again like three three or six months later and we're like we really think there's something here like there's just something new about what we're trying to do here and he kind of second time around was convinced and basically he brought a whole load of like his lot along. And it was quite good because we got like 15 investors, all of whom put between like 10 and 20 grand in. So we had no one we were like massively beholden to, but we had a lot of people who had experience and interest and like wanted to come along for the ride and were there to help. So it was actually a really cool way to do it. Um, and so, yeah, we raised, um, well, we raised 300 grand uh, to open Dean Street. Um, which, you know, sickeningly you spent most of it on like premium and lawyers. And then I think we spent like 70 grand fitting it out. Uh, and then and, and then that, so that was, we'd started the market in March 12, 2012 and we opened Dean Street uh, 1st of August, 2013. So that's and pretty quick from when you actually started to. Yeah, that. it was, it was pretty, and we were just so like all in because between that, we also started this like supper club thing called Fours of Win, which our friends, our friend Bash runs in Peckham now. It's now called Fours of Wine, but. Um, and so we, yeah, we just we had just thrown everything we had, like every hour of every day. At, at well, we spent the first the, the the kind of the motto was for the first eighteen months: say yes to everything. Like, just don't shut down any opportunity; just go for it. I mean, I don't know what we were thinking. Like, that well, that wasn't us before. There was no. something about something clicked at the, when we started the business because that was not our attitude before no. we started the business. I don't know what it was. It was kind of, I suppose. It, I think you just get a bit, we were definitely a bit drunk on like not being employed anymore mm. in a good way. Just kind of like, oh my God, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, we just kind of said yes to everything. And that definitely led to us, you know, we, we opened too many doors at the beginning. We started the limoncello business, which... Um, which Sadly no longer with us. <laughs> sadly no longer with us. Pizza is more popular than limoncello. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, and yeah, we started with, with our friend Bash. We started this thing, Forza Win on a roof. and But it was all those kind of mad experiences. Like, you know, we built a three-ton brick oven on the on the roof of a production company in Shoreditch and like and there was no, no lift. lift so we carried every brick up and all that stuff just kind of like I don't know is you just the experiencing yeah. it at the beginning is the most important thing and then that's how you get people on board people are excited to come and be part of something that's actually like 
living and breathing and sort of a bit rough around the edges. I think for us, we're not very good at the whole perfectionist, like putting putting forward a very perfect brand idea. So our best bet is to be as kind of like authentic warts and all as possible. Yeah. Mm. And that served us well, I think, over 10 years. Do you think perhaps it was like the momentum of like these things starting to happen and then more things come to you and you just want to run with that, those opportunities so you're saying yes to everything? Exactly that. It was just like, it was just fun stuff as well. I think that was the thing, like, it, you know, I don't think we could have started a fintech business because I just don't think we'd have had that like, you know, drive to get to the almighty dollar. It was just like, do you want to come and do this 80s festival VIP section and be on the stage with Bonnie Tyler? Yes, we do. Like stupid stuff like that. It was just like, oh, cool. This is amazing. I we did work a, in an office. We did a, a special pizza that weekend called the Cheesney Hawks. And Tom was on the front of the <laughs> counter. And we suddenly noticed that five back on the front on the queue was Chesney Hawks. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, shit, what do we do? And then it was like. We gave him, he, he ended up ordering the pizza, fair play to him. got the picture, he was you totally said chill. To him, you said to him, and what time are you playing? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And it was like, <laughs> you just come for, to see his mates. Sorry. Really? But he was the nicest guy about it. He was I great. Thought. I love that he ordered the pizza. He did, he did. He was, but it was Hawks. just like an incredible thing. Of like, we've gone with the Cheesney Hawks pound and Chesney Hawks is here. What do we do? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was genuinely kind of this like, just feeding off that kind of, that fun energy of like, you know, of, of new things coming at you, um, but it was interesting when you know, when the when the restaurant opened that did change quite a lot. Suddenly you've got like an address, and an address is like a scary thing for a business to have because you just get everyone coming at you for you know admin basically. So yeah, I think the restaurant opened and it was chaos, absolute chaos. I was the manager, you were the, the head chef, um, and you know we were kind of learning as we went. We got two star reviews from Metro, Time Out, and Evening Standard on day one. That was awesome. A great. great start. And um, yeah, we had no air conditioning and it was like August and you couldn't sit downstairs because it was just like impossible. I mean, everything was done on the fly. And I think it was just that like, you know, that kind of like, we're trying our best here, that got us through. But at that time, <clears throat> like the 2009 to 2012 kind of phase of restaurants in London, it was like that's, you know, Polpo had opened and that was a D. De- that was deemed to be like really sort of, you know, not formal and a bit, oh, isn't good. You just get small little plates and you just turn up and they serve wine and little beakers. You just forget what restaurants were like in the kind of early 2000s and 90s. It was, there was so much more formality to it. So I think London was definitely quite excited about street food and that kind of rough around the edges. It felt a bit more American and the fact that we were a complete shambles, I think, was actually quite nice as a sort of like, it felt like a local pizzeria in Soho. I mean, we're right opposite, you know, we're on the corner of, it's us, and the other side is Pizza Express. Yeah. So it was like there was this real stark, like, yeah. which one are you going to choose? The, well, we the, the slick I mean, operators or the Muppets who are kind of... That moment where BuzzFeed did a list of, like, top ten food mistakes you can make in London, and number one was go to Pizza Express when Pizza Pilgrims are over the road. That was, it was nice. just like, oh, my goodness. Did that make up for the two-star Metro reviews? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that, nothing will ever make up for that. Just burn deep into my soul. Yeah, that always hurts. Bad reviews. It, people, when people say they don't care, it, it just there's no way. You can't get on the tube in the morning, open the paper and go, oh, that's about me. Then that's really awful. Uh, that's fine. I'm, I'm yeah. for ducks back. It how how much do you think the success of that site was and like the launch was because it was in Soho? Like if, you, if it was somewhere else in London, do you think it would have had that response? Well, we were already trading in Soho on Berwick Street and we've been doing it for a year. So by that point, and we'd gone like rain or shine five days a week, we definitely knew at the beginning it was really important. Other street food brands were sort of moving around and popping up in different places are like, no, no, you've got to have a you've got to have a location that people can recommend you. Otherwise you're just kind of a bit of a sort of moving around in the in ships in the night kind of thing. So we already had an audience in Soho. So when we moved to a restaurant, like 
it was a, it, it instantly worked, which you know was such a blessing because if we, we've had restaurants that haven't worked when they started now, and I think if we'd had that experience on Dean Street, yeah. we wouldn't have had the tools to have fixed it, and it would yeah. have just so much is happening that for all the other problems that were happening. The fact that we had customers queuing at the door yeah. right, is the saving grace. And I think whilst we talk about it being chaos, and it was absolute chaos, like we always were obsessed with the product. Like the product was always good, I think. Um, I would argue that the product's better now than it's ever been because we kind of just we do obsess about it. And I think that, you know, you can't build anything on something where the product isn't good. Mm. So, you know, that was always a, a key part of like people come and have the pizza. Despite some, Metro and Time Out hating it. There's something quite useful in pizza in that like because it was, you know, invented as a kind of quote-unquote poverty food in the south of Italy. Like, it's made of cheap ingredients. So we can go out and get the best ingredients that you can possibly get. We get it all shipped in direct from Naples. We, we fly out to Naples and meet our suppliers three or four times a year. We've never had to have that conversation about, like, chipping the quality of the product, which I think in other restaurant businesses I think is a, is a more tempting scratch to itch. Mm. Whereas with pizza, you don't have to have that conversation. Yeah. You can just go... I just love that someone said to me the other day, I had never thought about it before, if you, you can put £10 in someone's hand and they can go get the best pizza in the world. You can't put £30 in their hand and they can go get a better pizza. Like, it's just such a lovely product because it's, mm. it, it maxes out at about 10 to £15, pounds, which is such a lovely yeah. thing to be involved in. It is. It's so nice. And it's also, it's good for, like, any time, I think. It kind of fits with every mood. Breakfast. Well, exactly. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This season of They Star Stick with Angelica Malin is proudly sponsored by Funderbean, a global investment and trading platform. Funderbean serves 25,000 investors from 133 countries and has over 60 companies from Europe and Asia listed on the Funderbean exchange. Funderbean's marketplace operates 24-7, 365 days a year and has helped private companies raise more than 25 million euros in funding. Funderbean is a female-founded business founded in 2013 by Kaidi Rousselep, a former CEO of Nasdaq Tallinn, who we'll be hearing from later on this series. If you'd like to explore the world of startups and growth companies, visit, visit their website www.funderbean.com and give them a follow on social media at Funderbean. Thank you to our sponsors, Funderbean. So I want to ask a bit about how it went from that to where you are now. So when did you decide to open more pizzerias and how did that like expansion go and what were the challenges of it? Well, and we used to sit at the end of a service in Dean Street 
and just be like, how does anyone run two restaurants? Like, what on earth? And um, we were pretty, like, steadfast that, you know, there was, a, you know, we were, we were finding it really challenging. We were loving it, but it was challenging, and we were just, we were just not excited about expansion at all. Um, and then, long story short, the guys from Shaftesbury, who are, like, one of the big landlords in Soho, literally came to us and said, look, we're doing this thing. It's called Kingly Court. Um, we're kind of converting it into, like, the food court of Carnaby. And we've got this spot and we want it to be pizza and we want it to be you. Like, how have we made that happen? And we still went down there and we're like, no, don't think so. It's too close to our existing one. Like, just why would we do two in Soho? No, no, no. And then actually it was one of those moments where like, you know, everyone wants to hate on your investors, but the investors were like, guys, sit down. <laughs> this is a good site. You need to do it. And, um, and we did eventually do it. Um, and uh, I think we raised a tiny bit more money, but at that point at Dean Street, you know, we didn't have any costs, so Dean Street was making a bit of money. So we opened it for not, you know, not much more. Shaftesbury were hugely supportive and still are to this day. And um, and it just flew, like keenly caught. I mean, even now it's our number one pizzeria and it, you know, it just, they've done such a great job of making it this like absolute destination for foodie brands. And they still, you know, they still curate all the stuff that goes in there. Club Mexicana's just opened, like absolutely love it. Like, they've never let that, level drop uh, apart from us obviously and then um yeah and so th- when that happened there was a bit of a like okay this really is a proper business now like this really worked and so that was the moment when we were like let's you know maybe we could sort of slowly tentatively open more and then we opened number three which is next with market which we just fell in love with because it's just i don't know if you've ever sat outside next with market on a sort of may evening when like it's just glorious and we were like this is where we want to open and we opened that as our third one and it was a disaster <laughs> like really? we opened it and then we like you know lost money from day one it was just like oh my goodness this is so not like soho why are they not all like this and you know now it's it's great and it's you know it's taken loads of time to build it up but that was the kind of the first dose of reality that we had i think of just oh okay so this is hard Mm. What was it in particular about that site, do you think, that didn't work at the start? We'd been a bit spoilt for choice because, you know, our first two restaurants were in Soho and we'd only ever traded in Soho as a street food business. So, like, just that busyness of Soho. And then suddenly you go to Exeter's Market. It's definitely got busy times, but it's not seven days a week, lunch and dinner trading. And we just had no, again, we had none of the tools to know how to fix a site that's not trading. Yeah. You know, we didn't know what was going on. So, so it, much it was so a that... smaller restaurant as well. This yeah. was a much, much smaller restaurant. Um and sometimes it just takes time, especially in those kinds of areas where, you know, the people are living in the area and working there, have been there a long time, they've got their habits. You know, you, you just have to sell it. It's a restaurant going to take six months to bed in sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, or longer. Like, it can, take, it can take real time. And I think, you know, it's a kind of classic, you know, don't, don't give up after your first album type thing, you know. But I think that's where we started learning, like, you know, marketing in terms of, like, local marketing, not yeah. kind of Twitter and Instagram stuff, like knocking on doors, giving out bounce back cards, come and have a half price pizza on us. We started a market stall. We did something called, because there's an amazing food market next to the market. And we were like, how do we do a market stall? But we can't take an oven out there. So we came up with something called pizza soup, <laughs> which actually I will hold down was one of the greatest things we ever did, but uh, didn't sell. But yeah. it was a, it was like a well, nonna style tomato soup. Right. Like really sort of chunky, hearty tomato soup served with a little mozzarella calzone on the side like a di- I think we call it a dipping calzone dipping calzone and we had, we had one customer who no joke came every day yeah. five days a week for the sort of six months that we did it he yeah. was there he was the only I mean it sounds there. delicious and the world wasn't ready but I think I think now there's, there's, I think there's it's time. the name I think pizza soup it sounds like it's just going to be a sort of a pulverized pizza a blended pizza, a blended mm-hmm. pizza yeah it's a good point it's a good point I think it just needs a rebrand uh, rebrand alright coming cool. to a pizzeria near you <laughs> bring it back 
Um, but yeah, so that, you know, that was that first moment. And then, you know, it's been, it's been this constant, like, internal battle, really, of, like, not wanting to... You know, a big part of us didn't want to grow at all, but actually you need to grow because all the people who are coming up through the company, all the great people you employ, they need opportunities and, like, places to grow into. So that pretty much is the number one driver for us growing the business, really. But, um, you know, as opportunities came to us and, you know, we had, we had some good ones and we had some more challenging ones. But, you know, we've tried to grow at a pace where we're never kind of overwhelmed, but we're also kind of very good at diving in with both feet into things that we don't understand and then trying to figure them out afterwards. As a business, is there any moves that you've kind of really regretted or kind of big mistakes that have happened along the course of your journey? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, plenty, plenty, plenty. I think... I mean, to me, most of them revolve around people. It's like all about getting the right people. And I think certainly for me, like early days, I was like, right, you know, we're, we're, we want to be a good employer. That involves like just carrying anyone who needs carrying through a problem. And like being completely honest, like what if you've got a team of 10 and one person who needs carrying, you're not helping the one, you're letting down the nine. And, and that was the thing I think we got wrong a lot in the early days of like, okay, we really want this person to get through. Like, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? And we'd work and work and work at that. But actually, all the rest of the team are like, well, I don't have to put up with this. Like, why do, I, why do I have to put up with this person who's not turning up on time or whatever? And I think that, you know, that has applied through every level. So there are so many examples of... I remember yeah. one manager in Kingley who would just never turn up on time. We even, to the point, we bought her an alarm clock. We did, yeah. It was literally like, it was just like anyone else would have been, no, this is not even We're now quite conflict-averse, I think. And I think sometimes you can, like, sometimes it works. It use a bit of comedy, like, give them an alarm clock, like, turn up to work tomorrow and then it the, the joke didn't land and then it's like we've tried it the funny way yeah but yeah that whole that whole learning how to because I, I think also there's a massive timing thing you know when when someone's someone might be working with us and it's just not they're not we're just not in tune at that time so you know for them they should be moving on to another opportunity to moving yeah. on to a different thing we've definitely also had situations where we felt like we've had managers in restaurants where we felt they know they've been there for so long like we can't pull that pin that the whole team will fall apart because they, you know, they're the kind of like matriarch or patriarch of the of the whole team, and you just think they're so important. And then you have you have had the whole conversation. Where you say, "Listen, this isn't working." I think at that time it was the person who just wouldn't turn up on time, and it's like, "I'm so sorry." And so we took that person out of the business, and kind of the opposite thing happened, where all the people below flourished. Yeah, uh, entrepreneur cliche number four. <laughs> Fell the biggest tree in the forest, and the smaller shoot shall grow. <laughs> there was a bit of that going on, <laughs> but it was it was really great. You suddenly saw the assistant manager, two junior assistant managers, suddenly went cool, and we gave them the job, and they just went doof. Yeah. And then so that was Nina and Karina, and yeah. Nina went on to go and run Aldroids. Yeah, and it was just so cool. And actually, Karina went back to New Zealand to go become a midwife, so that was yeah. a different mission. Mean, but <laughs> but like, I'm sure she brought some pizza skills with her. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it was all it's just a lot of HR on the go. And I think when when Haley, our HR director, joined us, like we really started to learn how you actually do yeah. it. And but, it's amazing watching her watching a proper HR person like because you have to be completely two different people. You have to be you have to be the strict parent and the like and the you have to be the culture and the authority. But it's such a hard yeah. I think it's the hardest job in the business to yeah. get right. Because I think the, you know the other way to go with people is, is to be too ruthless and be like anyone who's not right is out immediately. And I think actually some of our greatest successes of business are where we've gone, no, this person is right. Maybe they're on the wrong seat. Yeah. But like if we move into there, that's what they're great at. And you know there are so many examples of people in the business now where they started in one place, it wasn't working, and like you know I guess one of the things again, cliche number five, trust your gut. Like really, if you believe in that person, like you can make it work. And I think 
But you've got to know when you're like, I just don't believe in this person mm. and it's not it's not going to work for us. What are some of the particular challenges with hospitality as a whole for hiring and growing a team? I mean, the number the number one thing for me is like sort of the UK's perception of hospitality. It just, it really upsets me. And I know it's sort of a thing that I would say, but for whatever reason, this country just does not respect hospitality as a career choice because, you know, perceived tough hours and tough working practices. And, and certainly in the 80s and 90s, I'm sure that was true. People like Gordon Ramsay do not help the perception that it's a nice place to work. But the honest truth is that, like, I, I really believe that if, you, if everyone did one or two years in hospitality, not only would everyone be better at dealing with people, the world would be a better place. And whatever you go on to do, you'd be better at. So if you want to be a lawyer, go and get your law degree then come and do a year or two in hospitality. You'll have a great time. You'll like, you know, you'll be out having, you know, meeting young people. Just you'll learn so much about interacting with humans. And then go and be a lawyer. And I guarantee you'll be we, a better lawyer than you would. Have we been. call it national service industry. National service. And industry. it just like the the coolest thing about working in hospitality, especially if you know if you're younger. And we definitely say like. You sh- some people are lifers, and some people develop and grow right the way through the business. And you know, our business is full of those people. But we also have a lot of people who should only be with us for three years, and they'll come in. They're young, and y- you talk about you know. Tom went to Oxford, did the whole, did everything you should do, got the degree. By the age of twenty six, was managing one person and was on twenty two grand a year at that ad agency. Whereas you know, we use the example of Gabri joined us. He came to England from Italy. His English was not great. He joined us as a waiter. You know, within a year, he was a GM with us, and he was earning. He joined us as a KP, as washing, washing as a dishes. KP, and he was, you know, by within a year, he was earning twenty-eight grand plus a thirty percent bonus. He was managing a team of twenty people from all over the world. He was dealing with tough customers, you know. So his people skills went through the roof yeah. immediately, and he was, you know, he's running a business, so he, he got a good understanding of finance, he got an understanding of employing people, and after two years, no, he was with us for six and a half years. But no, but after two years, he was like ready to go and like was, and then now he's running his own pizza business. He's left to go and start his own pizza business. And it's just like, that is, that's not us. That's the power of hospitality. Like it's an amazing, amazing thing. And I just need, you just need to get the kind of the baby boomer generation to not be like, oh, my daughter or son has said they want to work in hospitality. Mm. It's weird though, because it's so uniquely English. Yeah. Like America service is like heralded and in, in, on the continent, in Europe, like being in the being in the restaurant industry is like you know it's a it's applaud it like it's, and, it's you a, know it's there's a real art to it a craft england just has always had this pretty weird relationship with with hospitality yeah and i couldn't actually put my finger on why that is to be honest no i, I really can't it's a it's a really weird one but but i, I think it's fundamentally wrong and that that's the biggest challenge that we, that we come across is like how do we get people to because I, I think we just, the, the big mistake is that everyone talks about it as like it's a big career op- opportunity. It really can be, and you can really make real money and really develop yourself. But it can also just be a great first job, mm. and I think that's and the great bit. Fun. And great fun. Mm. And I, I'm obsessed with like you know Adam Buxton talked on his podcast last week about you know he's obviously now a super successful comedian dude, but he, he he was harking back to you know one of my favorite times of my life was working in a pizzeria. First time I left home, like you know it was kind of like freedom, but it was fun. It was like a bit edgy and. I want more people who are successful to come out and talk about that formative hospitality experience because mm. I guarantee there are hundreds of them. Yeah. My first job was working um, in catering at Lord's and I was serving the media right. box like all throughout the summer. I had the best summer of my life. So much fun. Made amazing money and yeah. tips and just like, you know, I was there with the cricket and everyone's having a good time. I know. It's, it's a really strange issue that we need to solve. I did then work in a pub and got fired for pulling too many free pints. <laughs> Well, there you go. It's a good way to get fired. Went out with a bang. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic. Um, so March 2020, 
everything shuts what do you guys do what's your response and then like coming out of it what's that experience been like as well yeah it's funny now that we've had a bit of a chance to kind of slightly reflect on it yeah. I think this is going to come and sound weird we both kind of loved certain aspects of it like it really I don't know maybe it felt a bit more street food again it felt like startup and I think we both enjoy working in a startup business because there's this kind of thinking on your feet you know again like you talked about how you suddenly felt a bit sort of a relief because it was like if if everything goes wrong now, like there's my, an excuse. There's my such <laughs> anxiety was like I'm going to mess this up eventually. So the fact that someone has done it for me actually is quite relieving. <laughs> <laughs> like but uh, it was interesting watching but, how. Yeah, different... I think a lot of people felt that though. Also, the kind of creative freedom with your careers. Like if you couldn't yeah. do the job you were doing, it gave you. So many people started yeah, yeah. businesses in the pandemic because yeah. you were nice. free. It was so nice to have something that just like completely disrupts everything and like it just. I know it's quite refreshing in a way. But I think the very early days were horrendous because obviously like. We didn't know. That first Monday when Boris was like, we're closing everything. Or no, he didn't close everything. He said, don't go to restaurants. And our sales just dropped to like near enough zero. And we had a whole, we have a load, big team of people. And we're like, how how are we going to deal with this? Because we're losing tens of thousands of pounds a day, basically, so all of a sudden. And I think various companies dealt with it in different ways. So we're like, what we're going to do is we're going to stay open everywhere. We're going to trade as hard as we can, which is not very hard because no one was coming. But we, you know, we're going to just do as much as we can to protect as many jobs as we can and hope that like some kind of white night comes in. And obviously on the Friday of that week, you know, they turned up with the furlough scheme. And we were all there like, you know, is it going to be 40% covered? Is it going to be 60%? And when he announced it was going to cover 80% of everyone's wages, it was just like this amazing. I still get goosebumps now. Just like, holy shit, like. These people are going to be okay. Mm. We're all going to be okay. And it was just the relief. You know, we had, at that point, 250 employees. And I think by the next week, we had 248 on a furlough. Wow. Yeah. Like, absolutely unbelievable. And then then we had two weeks of like, okay, cool. Everyone's okay. Like, you know, we've probably got away with this. Sun's out. We had a hilarious we had a hilarious moment where we were like the six of us who kind of, you know, me, Tom, finance director, office director, we were sitting in, a, in our office and we had the screen up and we were doing the numbers on like, Worst case, we called it the doomsday scenario, which was, I think, a 12-week closure. This and was before lockdown had started. <laughs> and we were like, boom, and Sophie, our finance hit return, and the number went, and it came out, and we were like, oh, okay. I think we're going to be we all right. Probably, we could probably get over there. This is all right. And then she's like, oh, no, sorry, Mr. Decimal. <laughs> and it just went, and that was on, like, a 12-week closure. And we were like, oh, my that was, God. We called that the Armageddon scenario, 12-week closure. And it was... And then how long was it? Oh, I mean, it was all told. It must have been, like... Five, six, seven months closed. Yeah. And then, you know, and then another further five or six, like them. able to trade in certain ways. But after that, after that initial panic and just the pandemonium, all that, and trying to get everyone, you know, on furlough and getting, make sure everyone had money coming in and closing all the restaurants, there was a sort of, I think the whole, I think the whole country felt, the whole world felt it, I suppose. Like once everyone had kind of got a bit sorted and everyone got into the routine of what it was and what was happening, yeah. stay home, then we took a breath and we're like, cool what do we do now like what's the what's what should we do in this it was actually an idea that we'd had back in 2014 um which was it was basically a frying pan pizza it, it, we'd started the, the idea of a frying pizza came around because in 2011 when we fitted the oven in the back of the pizza van we invited 50 friends around to come and test out the thing at louis house yeah. and then um we hadn't got the oven hot enough so like oh my god so we suddenly started making pizzas in dry frying pans and putting them under a grill to just kind of replicate the heat of the oven and then two years later, we were like, okay, cool, this is actually quite fun. We should make a pizza box with little pots in it. This is 2014. And we'll, you can come in and we'll just put two portions of sauce, two dough balls, and close it up. And you can take that away and make it at home. And it failed miserably. <laughs> but it's a good lesson in, like, keep the bad ideas the on the shelf. Yeah. 
because we had that idea ready to go. Like as soon as the dust had settled on lockdown, it was like, boom, let's go. And so we were like first to market with a, with this restaurant kit idea. So we opened, we had our, after the team had initially been like, we're terrified to go out, we don't know what this is. We had the first people starting to go, I want to come back. So we opened our Victoria site for Deliveroo because we had no rent because it was a new site, it was still rent free. So we opened that and we're like, what else could we do? And then this idea came together. James was like, let's try it. Sent me one in the post and it was just a complete car crash. <laughs> but we found, we found, because uh, there was, a, there's like freezers, we used this like wool cool, which is like a sheet, it's a wool based insulation system that actually gets used mostly in the medical industry and we were like maybe you could ship fresh food in a box using that stuff and a couple ice packs yeah and it was just like oh my god so we put we put that first wednesday we opened we put 50 up for sale and we put them on instagram we're like you know it'd be cool if we could sell 50 in a week i mean it's not gonna make any money but it'd be a cool instagram thing we sold that 50 in 20 seconds it was like wow okay and then we did 50 again the next day. And again, they sold in 22nd. And I was getting, I was like building the Shopify site like as this was happening. And you could see that I think like something like 350 people had tried to put one in their basket in the first minute of it going on sale on the Thursday. So on the Thursday, we were like, right, we have two choices. We either do this in a kind of calm, measured, sensible way, which is like slowly build our production ability, like slowly ramp up our sales. Why do I feel like that's not the way you work for it? get on eBay, go, get as, as many, many as No, get as many sold as you can and then work out how you fulfill it. So we were like, what's oh, the yeah, most right. we can do? So on the Friday morning, we put 1,100 kits up for sale at 9 a.m. <gasps> oh, and so we sold them all by 9.50. And it was still our busiest hour of trading right. in the history of the company. And for the first month or so, we were working on yeah. borrowed time because no, we, we figured out that nobody was going anywhere. So no one actually cared what day it this kit arrived it's yeah. like if it can arrive at one point it was like it will arrive at one day in the next month yeah no it, and it was literally like, like exactly pay us 25 quid now and at some point in the next like six weeks a kit. a kit will arrive and if anything it kind of added to the joy because the the, the sort of the custom the crm the, there was nothing of that so like the email coming out saying you're going to get your kit tomorrow didn't exist so people would literally just pay 25 quid then like three weeks later <laughs> like, they'd like the open the door of their life yeah <laughs> and so it kind of added to this like oh weird There's and, like and then you know it just it just went absolutely bonkers like we doubled our instagram following you were doing like reviews of everyone's pizzas we were getting all this messages being like this is the happiest day of lockdown mm. like you know we had Everyone from like Stormzy to the Spice Girls to all these people did the kits, and it just is that your, is that your cultural? Yeah. That's your bandwidth. Stormzy yeah. to Spice. I've been on Girls. S in my iPod today. <laughs> yeah. iPod. That's another little cultural reference for you. Uh, yeah. So it was. It just went mad, and it, you know, at one point. So then it was literally like go to curries, buy as many freezers as you can get to like put ice packs in. Turns out if you fill a curry freezer with like unfrozen ice packs. You don't open it the next morning and they're frozen. You don't open it the next three days and they're frozen. It takes like ten days to freeze them. There was loads of just like just, it's so funny when you when you do when you jump into you just get really into the detail on the most stupid thing. You have moments where you go like, what am I talking about? You're on the phone to the ice pack company and you're going, so are you saying that the the way that we did the way that we put the ice packs into the freezer? Yeah, because as they get sharper, they can puncture the bags and then so then you just get so in the in the weeds with this yeah. detail in and it's details. kind of fun and it's kind of also really stressful <laughs> because if a problem goes because we were doing. How many were we doing a day on, on a, a, a peak like lockdown? So like a thousand a day. February twenty one, we were doing ten thousand a week. Wow! And if you make nuts. a mistake, if you put the wrong amount of yeast in, or you don't, or someone doesn't close the lids properly, yeah. that is like it so perfectly multiplies as ten thousand because everyone's the same. <laughs> so you'll get you'd wake up at six six a.m. and be like, um, hi, my um. The dobles seem to have popped out of the thing. They've kind of overproved, oh, and then you just go, "Oh, today's going to be a bad day. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of emails to send." It's all of we were just working so hard to make it great, and you know, we were just you know, we were just up against it. But joking aside, it saved 
pizza pilgrims for sure. Like, you know, thank you to everyone that bought one because it genuinely, you know, it genuinely made a difference. And we, you know, it, it kept us busy. You know, we weren't sitting there kind of like worrying about the future of it. And, and it, you know, in so many ways, like there are people now who live in Bath or Bristol or Edinburgh or Skegness who've bought a pizza kit who had no reason to connect with us before. Mm. So it, it has been a bizarre, you know, in many ways success story. Have you found people's dining habits have changed since we've come out of the yeah. pandemic? Yeah. What are you saying? Uh, people are drinking more. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Basically. I think it's like, if I'm going out, I'm going out, out. Yeah. Um, so. I, yeah. Uh, I interviewed the CEO of Virgin Atlantic the other day and he said that they doubled the amount of champagne that they have on board yeah. because it was because everyone's just everyone, back because travel was so stressful and everyone was just Yeah, no, we're, we're definitely seeing that. And I think, you know, one of our... Frankly, one of our challenges as a business is, we, you know, we don't have an outlet for that. We don't have like a menu where you can, if you want to go and mm. be a big spender, you can't because there's only so much pizza you can eat. Two pizzas. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's probably one of our limitations. But I think, you know, also it's just great to still be protecting that. You know, I think our average spend is like £14. So like as, a, as an experience, you know, with all the horror that's coming in the next six months on, you know, living costs... We still feel like we can be, you know, a night out at a good price, which is which feels really nice. And certainly, we set out to do that in day one. It's like we want to be great, but great value. Absolutely. So you've touched a little bit on uh, kind of entrepreneurship and, and mindset, but I just love some takeaways from you guys. What do you think has been like some of the most important things around your entrepreneurship journey that has helped you in times when it has been challenging in terms of mindset and staying positive about the business? I think I think the the pandemic thing was the only way it's like I think you just got to always lean towards the positive like how hospitality is about putting a smile on someone's face so like in any scenario it's how do we move the business in that direction and that so that could be like internal that can be for the team or that can be for the customer but like and and you've always you know it's it's a cliche number six it's got to be solution focused everything if you start looking at problems not solutions then it's just an absolute spiral to nightmare yeah. So I think, you know, and, and I think if you look at something the right way, there's always a way of looking at it where you can, there's a, there's a route through and it's, there's a, it's a solution. I don't think you, there's never a dead end. I think it still is a good way of looking at it. Mm, looking at solutions. If you were to go back and give yourself some advice starting out at the beginning of your journey, what would you say to yourself? I, I really think, you know, it, it's the trust your gut thing. Like, you know, it's your idea. You know better than anyone else what you feel is the right thing to do and I think the amount of times where we've done something and actually if you'd really if I'd really looked deep down into my uh, into my soul I would or wouldn't have done it and it's ended up being the wrong decision I just I feel like you know you've got to you've got to know what you're about I think the other thing that you know I find really interesting about this journey is that you know investors are kind of made out as this like comedy evil kind of Mr. Burns troupe where they're like, you know, they're just the bad guys and you're kind of, everyone's just sort of serving them and they're like all just counting money in the background. I think the truth about that is that that probably stems from the fact that they're often the guys who are not in the room. So any difficult decisions you're making, you're like, well, the investors, you know, they said that we've got to do that thing because, you know, horrible people. But actually, you know, we have been like sponges to like our investors and just like constantly reached out to them to just like get their opinion or like learn from them or get their point of view and like, We've learned so much by just listening to them. And like, you know, the fact is that it's not, you know, what they were doing 40, 50 years ago. Yes, if you were running a social network, it's probably not as relevant, but pubs in the 60s were pretty much the same as pubs in the 2020s. And mm -hmm. so like, 
those lessons that they learned are still valuable lessons. Mm. And I think, you know, we had no interest, for example, in like finance team. We're like, oh, we'll just, whatever, we'll just outsource it. Who cares? Like, you know, just we're more interested in this bit. And actually they were like, no, you need to have someone in house. You need to understand your numbers. You need to get, and it, actually, you know, it's such been a great lesson of like, actually a P&L can tell you more about a business than anything else. Mm. I know that's like obvious to a proper business person, but neither of us have got any experience. I didn't know the difference between net and gross profit until like year two of Pizza Pilgrims. Still don't. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you would go back and do differently any big things that stand out um, hot dogs so much so much easier hot dogs. <laughs> or chips chips the guy the guy chips. who's at the festival running the, the chip stall is winning life yeah <laughs> apart from he has to smell like chips at the end of the day yeah and you can't really open a chip restaurant uh, people know. have but, well, and if you're, in, I mean, the Belgians would have quite a lot to say about your opinion on chip restaurants because they are everywhere. Um, um, no, I don't think there's, I don't think there's much. I don't know. It's going to be a strange way to look at it. I think to go like, what would we change? I think exactly. the whole thing's been what it's been, and I suppose that kind of comes back to that. Like, always just look at it as it is. Don't try and. So I don't think we'd change anything. No, there are millions of mistakes, but I think it is that thing of like. It's the back of the future. If you go back and change it, you end up in a much worse alternate future than you ended up in before. So just like... Although you do get expanding pizza. That's true. In that weird... That's true. Pizza. <laughs> that is true. That was actually a great outcome. Yeah, maybe we should have done that. <laughs> What's the most rewarding thing about running your business? Watching amazing young people develop themselves. Like, honestly, we started, we started just before... On, I think it was 13th of March, 2020, we opened our academy in Camden which is like a semi-live pizzeria environment. So it is a pizzeria, but then it's got like classrooms at the back that can kind of expand to be part of a restaurant or shrink to be more training areas. And now all of our managers and head chefs and all of our team in some way go through it as a kind of like, this is what the gold standard is, but also as an inspiration thing and as a way to get people who, you know, are coming in off the streets or ex-cons or need like that extra leg up to get them going, they all go through it. And like just watching people develop and you know some of our young guys who started as a supervisor and now they're managing teams of you know 25 people smashing all their targets delivering amazing reviews doing it with a smile on their face and loving the challenge of it i mean that that to me is the everything on 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 why we do pizza programs so we would if that wasn't if it wasn't for that i think i'd be long gone by now i think something we're also going to see a bit more recently as we kind of got a bit bigger is like there is stuff that me and Tom are not involved in at all. And it's and it's just so glorious. There's nothing nicer than walking into a pizzeria, walking into a meeting of an office, and there's like a whole thing happening and it's theirs. It's not ours. It's and it's just like, yeah. oh my God, that's so glorious. This is it's I know it's takes on a life of its own. Mm. And it's just so nice to see it's really, other people owning, yeah, owning, that sense owning of the brand and like coming up with ideas and and then you walk in and you like the idea. That's the best bit. <laughs> and you're like, awesome. I don't even need to be here. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing feeling, that, for sure. Fantastic. Um, my final question, just because I want to know for my own um, my own insights, what would be your perfect day out in London or in Soho? I heard you were talking about earlier. If you were to plan a nice day out, what would you do? Uh, for me, it would all be on Dean Street. So you start at the bottom of Dean Street and you go to the French house for lunch and you drink one of those big bottles of Normandy cider and you eat like delicious delicious little english pates and stuff it's kind of it's so so hard sit there get a little bit get a little buzz on there and just <laughs> drift up the road and go and see a comedy gig at soho theater dream zones couple plastic plastic glass pints in there then on to pete's pilgrims which is a uh, number 11 11 dean street <laughs> 11 dean street uh, and have yourself a pizza and then just slip into the toucan for the rest of the night absolutely glorious is that what your day would be like no I think I'd probably I, I mean mine would definitely end in ain't nothing but 
it is just the happiest ah. place on earth. Like, it's a blues bar on Kingley Street. I had my 21st birthday there. And they're so achingly cool. They're basically like the one company on Kingley Street that we've never made friends with because they're just like, <laughs> no, like, obviously not. Look at you, you're not bluesman. Get out of my... <laughs> Sight, but I just I think just, it might be the phrase bluesman. But yeah, it's it's just the coolest place. Like it's always just rocking in there. And um yeah, I just wanna I wanna end my day there. Well, I don't want to spend the rest of my day. I don't know. Outside ain't nothing but <laughs> Well the one you missed on Dean Street, Barafina. I mean, come on. Barafina's good. Barafina is good. Very nice. Right, you've been the most fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me. I just have some quick fire questions that I do at the end of at the end of every episode. Um because there's two of you, maybe you can take it in turns. Okay, sure. Okay, what's up with you? Marmite or peanut butter? Neither. What? Why? Or Marmite. Or have you seen Marmite peanut butter? Yes, but it's, I've been doing that for years, like mixing them together. But the oh, actual, you're one of those people. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, that, I, I was doing, doing Marmite peanut butter before it was cool. It was so cool. I think I once tweeted at them being like, you should make this. And, Bovril, Bovril but it doesn't taste as thing. good, the one that they've made together. Is that right? No, yeah, it doesn't taste I've as good as it. Do, you, gun, gun to my head, peanut butter, but I would choose Why? Neither. Why neither? They're just both gross. I mean, stupid question. Oh, that's that's wrong. Um, healthy or indulgent? Almost <laughs> <laughs> question. I was going to say pizza or pasta. As this is on camera, <laughs> I cannot lie. <laughs> indulgent. <laughs> um, spend or save? Save probably. Interesting. Um, I think I might be save. You know. Really? Not. A, not. A, no. Yeah. You don't let me look at us again. Like we're on camera. Like we're not. We're not big spenders, sadly. Um, staying in or going out? Oh, it's a good one. I want to go out, then immediately stay in very, very hard. <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> stay in for a long time. Yeah, I think I'm going out. I think I'm going out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, love or money? <laughs> I wrote these when I was drunk. <laughs> I want to meet the guy that says money. <laughs> Yeah, he was sat there before you. <laughs> Hard, was. cold, cash, please. Um, and then these ones are from my producers, Apple or Android? Apple? I mean, don't even talk to me about Android. What a nonsense. <laughs> yeah. uh, brogues or sneakers? Trainers. Yeah, I know. Become an American show. Yeah. Well, it's on YouTube. Everyone will watch it. What is a brogue? I'm, getting, I'm getting married this month, and I've got to decide that exact thing. Do I wear... <laughs> Shoes, which I've never worn, or trainers, which I always wear. And I, I, I think I, you have to wear shoes to a wedding. I was shooting that kind of like, oh, it's so cool. It's a suit and a suit. And no, it's going to be shoes. This is the third shot getting married after a oh. uh, uh, pandemic. Fun times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations. Brogues. For the wedding day, brogues for, the, for life. Shoes. Uh, yeah. Trainers. Fantastic. Well, that was all my questions. Thank you so much, guys. If people would like to find out more about Pizza Pilgrims um, or follow you on Instagram, where should they go? 11 Dean Street. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, pizzapilgrims.co.uk, but at Pizza Pilgrims Instagram. There is a TikTok, but we, we've not started using it, so don't go there. Okay, well, but, when uh, Pizza Soup comes back, I want to see yeah. it on TikTok. Pizza Soup's going to be the craze on TikTok. That's, That's what going to happen, be. for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank having us. You. Thanks for having us. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get new episodes delivered weekly and follow us on social media at Jelly Malin. If you benefited from this conversation, we'd love you to leave a review and rate the podcast so more people can find it. 
Today's podcast is brought to you live from Runway East, who are kindly sponsoring this series of They Starst It with Angelica Malin. I'm recording today at their state-of-the-art studio on Old Compton Street in Soho, and honestly, what an incredible place. As well as podcast studios, Runway East offers office solutions to businesses of all kinds. They do flexible contracts, and there's workspace options for everyone, from big branded offices to flexi co-working space. If you're interested in joining a super trendy co-working space, they've got sites in London and Bristol, with new ones opening later this year in Shoreditch and Whitechapel. Come here for cake Wednesdays and drinks trolleys on Fridays and stay for the free coffee. Give them a follow on social media at Runway East. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.